following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. So we, we are in a series, an Advent series at the moment, and you can uh, pull your Bible out if you brought one today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 in just a moment. Last week, what we're doing at the moment is looking at three songs, three like Advent songs, songs from Scripture that talk about Jesus, that point towards the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Christ. And last week we looked at Psalm 2 and the way in which that psalm talks about Jesus as the King. And I discovered something very important in the process of preaching last week, and that is that most of you are insanely tired, right? And I could tell. And, and I was tired, and we're all tired, and that's just the time of year it is, right? So I get that. So what we're going to do today, we're going to mix it up a little bit, okay? Uh, I've got a video I'm going to play just to try and keep you awake. My, my, my only goal, you've got to be realistic this time of year, my only goal is to keep you awake, right? If I do that... I feel like I've succeeded. Uh, so we're going to have a video to watch in a few minutes. Um, if you're really lucky, I might talk for slightly shorter than usual, but no promises there. Um, at the end, I want to give you a bit of a chance to reflect and respond and maybe even interact on some of the things that we're talking about. If you need to take notes purely to keep awake, do it. If you need to draw a picture of the person beside you purely to keep awake, do it. You know, whatever, really. If it's an intentional keeping awake strategy, I'm all for it. Don't mind, okay? We've just got to relax and just get through this time of year. So, And hopefully we can fully engage with this because it is an amazing piece of Scripture that we're going to read this morning. If I can find my Bible, here it is. Uh, in Luke chapter 1, this is a song that Mary sung. She probably didn't sing it, to be fair. Um, probably wasn't like a, an opera. But this is a prayer that... Mary, the mother of Jesus, prayed in Luke chapter 1. And this prayer uh, is traditionally called the Magnificat. It's a Latin word for the first word in this prayer, which is the word magnifies. In the original language, the word magnifies. My soul magnifies the Lord. It's a great song of praise. Uh, so let's read this. It's in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And then we'll reflect on it a little bit. And Mary said... My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is a song that's been sung by the church, uh, put into music by the church, depicted in art by the church for centuries and centuries. It's a real treasure of the church, the song, the Magnificat. But I think the real brilliance of it, the real beauty of this prayer, this piece of Scripture, is seen when you look at it in the context of Mary's actual situation. I mean, this is an exalted, lofty piece of Scripture. It's full of praise, it's full of hope, and it's full of uh, blessing toward God. But here's Mary 
who's probably a teenager. She's a teenage girl, and she's just found out that she's pregnant. And she knows that this is a miracle of God, but nobody else knows that. So while this is a miracle for Mary, socially speaking, this is a nightmare. This is catastrophic. In a a tight-knit little village like Nazareth, in a rural context, in the first century, with, with social values far more conservative than they are today, a teenager pregnant outside of marriage, it's a scandal. It's an absolute outrage. Mary is going to be the talk of the town. Everyone's going to be giving her snide looks. Everyone's going to be whispering about her. She would have brought huge shame on herself because of this, because probably no one else is going to buy the story about the angelic visitation other than Joseph. He needed his own angelic visitation just to buy the story. But Mary would have been the subject of huge social stigma and shame and scandal. She would have brought shame on herself. She would have brought shame on Joseph. She would have brought shame on her entire family. And it's telling that the first thing Mary does when she finds out she's pregnant is leave town. It's what she does. Before she even starts showing, she leaves town. She goes and stays with her relative Elizabeth in another village, another town, because she knows this is going to be a nightmare when word gets out. So she goes and stays with Elizabeth. And Elizabeth's probably an auntie or a great auntie of Mary's. And Elizabeth is hugely encouraging towards Mary. But even when you think about the situation between these two women, it highlights Mary's problem. Because Elizabeth is pregnant as well. But her pregnancy is a miracle within marriage. So everyone would have thought, well, that's just God's favor upon Elizabeth. Amazing. But Mary's miracle is not so socially acceptable. So Elizabeth encourages Mary and blesses Mary, and then out of Mary's emotional turmoil, and you can only imagine what that must have been like, the confusion, the anxiety, the fear, but also the excitement and the anticipation. This is something. Something's going to happen here that is amazing. And out of all that emotional turmoil, Mary prays this prayer. This incredible prayer. I mean, you just have to think, how does... A teenage girl come up with this. How does a scared and anxious teenage girl from a backstreet village in northern Israel come up with this? And I think it's because Mary knew the story of God. She knew. She had parents who had poured Into her, the story of Scripture, the story of the Old Testament, the story of God's traveling with his people century after century after century. And when Mary reaches this crisis moment, she falls back on the story. Because when you look at this prayer, it is a collection of quotations from the Old Testament. Mary knew her Bible. She knew the Scriptures. And when she strikes this situation... She just goes to the story of God. She goes to the Hebrew Bible, the Scriptures, and she just finds there strength and comfort. And she finds someone in that story that she can identify with. Because as Mary thinks about her own situation and her own pregnancy, her mind goes back to a woman in the Old Testament. We know this because of the nature of what she prayed. Her mind goes back to a woman in the Old Testament named Hannah. Because Mary's prayer is modeled on another prayer in 1 Samuel that Hannah prayed. If you you read it and then you read Mary's prayer, that there's all kinds of similarities. 
And most likely, Mary knew Hannah's prayer. She'd been taught Hannah's prayer. She might have memorized Hannah's prayer. And isn't it awesome? In this moment, that's what comes back. When you internalize Scripture, this isn't the main point of the sermon, but when you memorize Scripture, God will bring it back at the times when you need it. It's exactly what has happened for Mary here. She's going back to the Scriptures, and that's where she's finding hope and strength and confidence in God's faithfulness. So she's reciting, or she's kind of adapting, Hannah's prayer. Hannah was the mother of the prophet Samuel. And Hannah was also unable to have children, except Hannah was married. She was married. In fact, her husband had two wives. That's a whole other sermon. But she was one of two wives. And the other wife had kids, could have children, but Hannah couldn't. And the, the awful thing about that story is that the other woman mocked, Mary, uh, mocked Hannah because of that. She was awful to her. She ridiculed her. She taunted her because she couldn't have children, brought Hannah to tears numerous times. But eventually God opened Hannah's womb, enabled her to have children, to get pregnant. And when Hannah found out that she was pregnant, she prayed this beautiful prayer in 1 Samuel. And Mary picks up that prayer. She could obviously resonate with Hannah's situation. And she picks up the language of that prayer and she uses it to express her own heart to God. When you look at Mary's prayer and when you look at Hannah's prayer, there's a discernible theme in there, I think, about who God is and how God works. That God is a God who, who bypasses the proud and he bypasses those who are full of themselves and those who are lifted up in their own estimation and he, he bypasses all of that and he moves towards the humble. God is mindful of the humble and the lowly. It's like God is attracted to the weak. God is, is magnetically pulled towards the downtrodden and the outcast the marginalized, the hurting, the forgotten, the struggling, and he reaches down and he lifts them up. That's what Hannah prayed. Hannah put it like this. She said, you lift the needy from the ashes and you set them high up with the princes. And Mary put it slightly differently. She said, you, you fill the hungry with good things and you send the rich away empty. Nothing wrong with being rich, but God loves to move towards those in need those who are desperate, those who are battling, and lift them up. That's what God did for Hannah in the Old Testament. The barren woman able to have children. And that's what God has done for Mary. He didn't choose someone of great position, didn't choose someone of great rank, didn't choose a great leading couple in Jewish society. He chose a scared and nervous teenage girl a faithful teenage girl, but one who was of no particular social status, but God reached down and touched her life and used her in an incredible way for his story and for his redemptive purposes. God is the God of the humble. He's the God of the lowly. And what Mary didn't fully realize, I think couldn't have fully realized at this point, is that the most amazing answer to her prayer here was already happening inside her. The most amazing fulfillment of these words was already growing in her womb. That God was not just the God of the humble, but God was becoming the humble one. God himself was descending down to inhabit the body of a teenage girl. That's the miracle of the nativity. It's not The, the real miracle of Christmas is not the birth of Jesus. That was a normal, natural, biological birth. The miracle is the conception of Jesus. 
that God became an embryo. That's the miracle. That's unreal. I mean, just take a second to let that settle on your heart in a fresh way. This is God who said, let there be light, who flung stars and planets into space, the God who is enthroned above the cosmos, who holds the nations in the palm of his hands, the God of the Exodus, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of great miracles, that God has reduced himself down to take up residence in the womb of a Jewish teenage girl. God who is immortal, who is invisible and untouchable, has become fragile. He's become dependent on the nourishment of Mary. He's become breakable. He's become pierceable. He's become vulnerable, incredibly vulnerable. This is what God chose to do, to become the vulnerable one, to become unbelievably weak, incredibly humbled. And he did that so that he would come alongside us in our weakness and our brokenness to lift us up, to identify with us because he knows our weakness from the inside. He knows our weakness because he's taken it on himself, entered into the fullness of our weak humanity. And he chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong, chooses the lowly things of the world to shame the things that are great and honorable. This is what God did. And it's not just what God did, it's who God is. This prayer, I think, is a reflection of the very heart of God, that God is the God of the humble. He's become the humble one. And he has moved in his own heart and his own very being towards those who are humble and towards those who are broken. And so the simple question that I want to ask you from Mary's song is what does it mean for us? If, we, if we're followers of this God, if we've staked our life on this, if this is our faith, and if this song shows you something of the heart of God, then what does it mean for us to align our hearts with God's heart? What does it mean? Shouldn't our lives of discipleship be a process of aligning our hearts more and more and more with the God of Mary's prayer? And if God is the one who is mindful of the humble state of his servants, shouldn't we also be seeking to take that spirit on, to take that nature on, to allow our hearts to be broken for the things that really break the heart of God? To allow ourselves to be concerned by the things that concern God, not just the things that concern us, to allow ourselves to feel God's heart for the humble, for the lost, and for the last, and for the least. Shouldn't we be asking God to give us more of His heart that we might be His hands and feet to reach out to those around us who are hurting and who are broken? And I think we don't tend to do it because we are just hurtling through the Advent season at such a pace that just getting keeping our own stuff together, just keeping our own family together, keeping our own mind sane is enough. And yet, the very God who we are remembering and celebrating at this time of the year calls us to share his heart for those outside our immediate circle and those outside our comfort zone and those outside whatever little bubble we might be existing in. God calls us to move towards those who are hurting with his love and with his compassion. Because the very ways in which we celebrate Christmas 
and celebrate Advent can often be the very things that marginalize other people. And they're good things. I mean, you think about the way in which we celebrate being with family. At Christmas, that's, that's a good thing, and we prioritize that. But what about those who have lost someone close to them, lost someone in their family, maybe this year, maybe a long time ago? What Christmas will do for them is turn up the volume on that pain and make them feel that loss far more greatly than at other times of the year. Christmas for them will be a struggle. It will be the empty chair syndrome of knowing that there's someone who should be here who's not here. And the anguish that causes is enough just to make people want to get past Christmas Day. There's some that are just wanting to get on the other side of Christmas. They don't want to celebrate it. They don't want to even be in this rush. They just want to be on the other side of it because it's bringing up so much pain. Those are the ones that God says, I want you to to move towards them. I want you to encourage them. I want you to lift them up. I want you to do what you can. I know that you're busy and I know that your plate is full, but would you share my heart for the humble? Would you share my heart for those who are just lonely? Those who are living alone, those who are on your street, who are living alone, who are not getting visitors, who are not able to enjoy family, who maybe are separated from family or have gone through divorce, whatever it is, and they're lonely. And God's saying, would you be the one? Would you continue to sing Mary's song for that person? encourage them and lift them up. There's a woman in our church who goes and visits a 91-year-old woman every single week. She's not even a relative of this woman's, but she started visiting her years ago. The woman is, is a, the, the mother of some friends that this woman in our church community has. She started visiting the woman years ago when her friends went on holiday, and she's kept at it every single week. She visits her in a rest home. She makes time for it. She clears her schedule around it. She even works her work shifts around visiting this woman. That's an absolute priority in her life. When she can, she'll take this woman out for coffee. Other times when the woman's not up to it, she'll just be there. She'll allow her own presence to be the gift to that woman. And it's an absolute commitment. It's a priority for her. She's got a real heart for this woman. And just the simple act of being present with this woman and easing some of the loneliness that that elderly lady feels is the gift that uh, this woman is giving to her. That's Mary's song. And it may not look like that for you. It may look like something completely different. But I think what it does look like is us doing exactly what God says he does in this prayer. That Mary says, you have been mindful of the humble state of your servant. I think that word mindful is the one to catch hold of. It just starts, doesn't it, by being mindful. We're so busy, we're so tunnel vision, we're not, mind, we're not even aware of the people intersecting our lives who we might be able to encourage, might be able to lift up a bit, might be able to spend some time with. We're just not even mindful. I think the greatest invitation of this prayer is that we would become a little more aware. Can we say between now and Christmas, we will, if nothing else, become aware of those around us who are in need. Just open our eyes and ask God to open our eyes to the people coming across our path, the people living on our street, the people who our kids are friends with, you know, whoever it is in your world and maybe random people you don't even know, but God, would you open my eyes that I could somehow be mindful of others and do something that might lift them up. Do something that gets me beyond a self-absorbed way of experiencing Advent moves me towards a heart for others and a concern for those who are struggling. 
just to pray that prayer. I think God will honor it. I think he'll show you something. I think he'll show you someone. I think he'll raise your awareness to maybe see things, to see people around you that you haven't seen before. But can I just leave you with a challenge to think and ask God maybe to lay on your heart one person or family, one person or family that somehow between now and Christmas Day you could do something, your family together could do something to bless that person. Parents, shepherd your kids towards this. Give them a different way of thinking about Christmas. I was talking about this with a young mum in our church the other week who was saying she's trying desperately to reframe the conversation away from getting, getting, getting towards what could we give? How could we serve? It's hard to do, but be intentional. Shepherd your children towards being mindful. Engage them in something they could do to encourage, to bless, to serve. Would you let God lay on your heart one person, one couple, one family, whether it's a card you write, whether it's a visit to be personally present with them, whether it's some way in which you serve them practically. I'm not trying to add 10 more things to your plate, but one person that you could bless, that you could serve in Jesus' name. Would you let God lay that on your heart? And would you have the, challenge, the courage to respond if he challenges you in that way? So I'd like us just to take a few minutes, and these might be the only seconds that you get in the madness of Advent. But I want to just open up a bit of time and space for this. Uh, We're going to play a song as a band, and here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you want to just be still and, and think and reflect and worship, fantastic. If you want to allow God, maybe ask God, God, is there one person at my work, my extended family, whoever, Ask him to lay one person on your heart and think about one thing you could do, one way that you could be a conduit of his love and his grace and his mercy. And I would encourage you, if you do that, write it down. Use the bulletin, use the back of your Christmas Eve flyer, write it down. There's something about writing it down that just cements it there and keeps it in front of your mind. Write it down. If you want to talk to someone around you about this, as long as it's not just meaningless chit-chat, but if it's intentional, go for it. If you want to talk to a friend, families, if you want to huddle together, and talk. Who could we serve? What could we do? Fantastic. If it's intentional and it's purposeful, interact on this. If you just want to be still and spend that time in prayer and reflection, maybe read over Mary's song again and just ask God, give me this heart. This is you, God. Help this to be me as well. You take the time. Let's pray. Father, you're a God who time and time again, reaches down and lifts up those who are humble. It's always been the way that you've worked, Lord. You've always stooped down. You've always had such concern for the lowly. And God, as much as we think about Jesus as a baby, we also think about the cross. And we think, God, about the way that there again you used the humiliation of the cross you use the hideousness of the cross you use the shame of the cross to bring life to bring healing to bring blessing you used the despised things of the world to shame those who are puffed up and proud and to bring about your kingdom of everlasting peace so God as we come to the table today at your invitation 
as we take the juice in the way for God, as we remember you, Jesus, not only the baby in the manger, but the man on the cross. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be mindful of your humility, the God of the humble, and that we would have this heart in us. God, use this time to give us your heart, to align our heart with yours. Make us people who show favor and love and concern to the weak, not to do good deeds, but because we love you and because you have shown such favor to us. We're all poor in spirit, and yet you've reached down and shown us such incredible mercy. Make us your hands and feet to extend that mercy to others this Advent season, we pray. In Christ's name. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.